Today I'm going to start a series of messages on five themes that were really uh, at the core of the Protestant Reformation. So as you know, uh, this year, 2017, the Christian world is commemorating the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And as we know, the Protestant Reformation was not a one-day event. Usually we refer to October 31st because that was the day when Martin Luther affixed his 95 Theses uh, at the door of the church. But the Reformation was an, was a, an event, a movement that happened over a period of time. But uh, 1617 is, uh, 1517 rather, is the year uh, where we uh, usually turn our attention to when you talk about the Protestant Reformation. So this year, uh, the Christian world is celebrating, is commemorating the 500th anniversary. And because of that, I'm going to focus on five of the core themes of the Reformation. And today we'll start with the one which is probably the, the most basic one, the one from which all other truths come. It is the principle that reformers have called the sola scriptura principle. So it is the Bible and the Bible alone. It is the Bible only that's the standard for the Christian. There is no other book, there is no other source. It is the Bible. And so our beliefs, our doctrines, everything we believe comes from the Bible and the Bible only. And so today we'll be studying about that. So if we claim that, if we say that the Bible is the only rule of faith for the Christian, if the Bible is the only source of truth for the Christian, why is it so? Why do we believe that? Why is it that we look at this book and we consider this book inspired? So we'll try to find those answers today. So that when we go out, and as we studied this morning, those who were here for Sabbath school, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we should always be ready to give reason for our faith, for our beliefs. And so before we start this study, I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer. And as far as possible, I'm going to kneel here as far as possible. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this privilege of being here, for the opportunity to be able to open up your word and with freedom be able to study it and to meditate upon your words. I ask you, Lord, that at this very moment, every person here in this temple, in this sanctuary may be focused only in the word, that every distraction may be put aside, that we may focus on what's going to be said, on what, what's going to be read from your word. And that your Holy Spirit, Lord, may be at ease to work within our minds and hearts. Help us, Lord, lay aside every distraction and lay aside every preoccupation that might be uh, taking space in our minds. And may we, we leave that for later and totally focus on you. I humbly ask, Lord, that every word that I say here may be an expression of your thoughts that I may be hidden behind the cross of Christ, that everything I say may not draw any attention to me, but to you. And may your name be glorified, I ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Not too long ago, maybe three, three months ago, this was in January and February, the, the church was invited for a gym night, which we held here at the uh, next door school, uh, Sir, Sir James Whitney. And when we got there, we had a good time together. We, we talked and we played some, some ball games. Now, can you imagine if people were to get together for a volleyball, for example? Volleyball seemed to be very popular those two nights. And people get together for the volleyball game and uh, they find out there is no ball. And so as much as, as, as creative as we could be, I can't, find, I can't possibly imagine that a volleyball game would take place without a ball. And so the very name of the game says volleyball, so you, you touch the ball, you, you volley it, so it can be played. 
And then the next week people come together and said, well, let's not run into the same problem because last week we didn't have a ball. Let's make sure we bring a ball. And next week we all come together and every single person brings a ball. And now we have 20 balls to play with. But all that we do is to carry the ball around. And I say, no, this is my ball. And I take good care of it. And we never play the ball. We never actually use it. And we go around holding our balls. And now we have people. We have the court. We have the net. We have the balls. But there is still no game. And so, so it is for the Christian life. In a way. Because of everything we do. And we come together to church. And we sing together. And we pray and we praise the Lord and we fellowship with each other. But if at the, core, at the core of all of that, if the Bible can't be found, then there is no game. There is no Christian life actually. And if we were to only bring our Bibles to church or carry our Bibles around everywhere we go. And now we are sure that we have a Bible, but we never spend time on it. We never really read it. We never meditate upon its words. Then there is still no benefit coming out of it. And so the Bible is central for the Christian life. A story is told, and maybe you heard that. That's an old illustration that a boy was at home, a young boy, four, five, six years old. And he was uh, looking at the shelves in the library, in the home's uh, family's library. And he saw a black book there. Uh, a nice cover, a nice leather cover, but it was collecting dust. And he, he saw some words there. He couldn't quite read them. So he came to his mother and said, mom, mom, which book is that? And mom said, that's the Holy Bible. Yeah, H-O-L-Y, Holy Bible. And the boy said, which book is that? And the mother said, well, that's God's book. And the boy said, we might as well return it to him because we never use it. And so being a Christian is not only collecting Bibles. And most of us have several Bibles. I have, I have several Bibles at home. And every once in a while I find a different version that I, wanna, I want to have at home. And I buy it and my wife says, don't you have enough? And I say, but it's always good to have different versions and be able to compare them. But it's not only having the Bibles. And we have Bibles on our shelves. We have Bibles on our electronic devices, on our tablets, on our phones. It's very easy to have a Bible today. You could probably pay only 5 or $8 and get a new Bible at a bookstore. You, we give out Bibles, right? We don't even charge for them. But it wasn't so. It wasn't so during the time of the Reformation. At that time, the Bibles were not spread out like today. Only certain people had access to the Bible. You had to be a clergy to be able to get close to the Bible. And not, even, uh, not only any kind of clergy. You had to be special clergy. You had to be higher ranked to, be, to have access to the Bible. If you were an artist or if you were a rich, a wealth, wealthy person, you'd be able to have access to the Bible. So the common people... People like you and I didn't have access to the Bible. So the Bible was, was needed and it was prized when they had access to it. And today, uh, maybe, I don't know, you all at some point heard about the, the proverb that says, familiarity breeds contempt. So I wonder if that's something that perhaps is taking place in our relationship with the Bible today. Because we've been so familiar to it that we really take for granted what is in there. And it became so commonplace, it's such a common thing that we really don't care much about the Bible, even within the Christian community. Well, the Bible has encountered many objections from those who do not believe the Bible. People look at Christians who read the Bible and say, well, the Bible ha is just a, a bunch of stories. That's one of the objections that they present. The Bible was a book written by men. How can you believe that? Well, people also say that I don't believe the Bible because I am my own source of truth. 
Whenever I need to find an answer for something, I just go into my bedroom, my quiet space, and I hum, and I get the answers I need. Some people say the Bible is an outdated book. It's irrelevant, irrelevant for today. So you don't grab a manual of an old car, uh, a car that was built in the 40s or 50s, and you read that manual to understand how your car works today. You don't do that. Why should you read the Bible? You don't read parenting manuals that were written 50, 100 years ago. Why would you read the Bible today? And other people say that the Bible is filled with contradictions. You read one text here, another there, and you find so many contradictions that you can't really believe the Bible. But none of those arguments is actually solid or tr even true. And we are going to see that today here. So why, what does the Bible say about itself? How can we find internal evidence in the Bible that would tell us that the Bible is true, that the Bible is reliable, that the Bible is trustworthy. Well, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, he says, the grass withers, the flower fades. Are those two things true? Yeah, that happens every time, every day. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So here is the Bible talking about itself. Prophet Isaiah is saying, everything else may die or fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And later on, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55 verse 10 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, those are two things that are certain as well. And do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55.10 And this is the Lord himself speaking through his prophet Isaiah. The Bible is reliable. Jesus himself in Matthew 5.18, he said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And the reference to the jot or the tittle, this phrase is a reference to the smallest letter in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew uh, alphabet and the smallest vowel marking that there was and Jesus is saying even uh, not even a small letter the smallest letter not even the smallest marking will be removed from the law because it is my word so Jesus is saying that the God the God's word has always been and will always be on another occasion Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away and over the course of time we have to we have to acknowledge that many people have tried to to uh, destroy the bible but the bible has stood the test of time none of them have been successful in doing so now there is more uh, there is more internal evidence because even the new testament acknowledges the old testament the new testament uh, the writers of the New Testament quote the Old Testament quite frequently. In more than 320 different passages in the New Testament, there is reference to the Old Testament. So this confirms the supernatural events that took place in the Old Testament. It's all confirmed in the New Testament. And finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that was part of the passage that uh, our dear brother Shanar Hardy uh, read today. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So how much of scripture was given? All of it. It's not just one portion. It's not only the Old Testament. But all scripture was given by, is given by inspiration of God. So that means that the Bible is not only just the words of some random author. 
The Bible is actually God's word. So when you open the Bible, you can be sure that you have there in the Bible God's thoughts represented, represented in those words. God's very thoughts are brought to you in the Bible. And we might ask the question, are the words in the Bible the words that God dictated? Are the words in the Bible the very words that God said? Yes or no? Some say no and some don't say anything for fear of being wrong maybe. But let's think about it and we'll get back to it uh, later on. But one thing we can be sure and that the Bible will prove to us that the Bible contains the very thoughts of our God. The Bible has also outside evidence that it's a trustworthy book. For example, the Bible has been translated in full into more than 350 languages. And it has been partially translated into more than 2,000 languages. There are people who have traveled to distant, far places in the world, remote locations, just to study the language in that location and be able to translate the Bible, or at least portions of the Bible, into that language. 30 years ago, the British Bible Society was printing, 30 years ago, was printing one Bible every three seconds. That means 20 Bibles per minute, per minute or 1,200 Bibles an hour, and 28,800 Bibles per day. And that's just the British Bible Society, just one Bible Society. There are several other Bible Societies in the world, and this was, in, this was 30 years ago. In 2012, the Gideons International, which uh, whenever you go and you lodge into a hotel or motel, there is usually a Bible in the drawer, uh, in the nightstand. And so the Gideons International do that ministry. They give out Bibles uh, to hotels and other locations. In 2012, they have given, they gave over 80 million Bibles around the world, 80 million copies of the Bible. The Bible has been the all-time bestseller with over 5 billion, that's the right number, 5 billion copies sold worldwide. Do you want to know what's number two? Number two bestseller is a book called Quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong who used to be the president of the Communist Party in, in China. And this book has sold 900 million copies. So compared to the Bible, every five people, to every five people who buy the Bible, one person buys quotations from Mao Zedong. Now some people may say, but what's the big deal about that? Well, the most important thing is probably not how many Bibles have been sold, how many Bibles have been distributed, but the most important thing is that the book, ha the Bible has stood the test of time. If you have ever uh, watched uh, It Is Written, uh, there is a lot of garbage on TV, but It Is Written is a good program. You can watch it. And if you have ever watched It Is Written, you hear at the very top, at the opening of the, 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 the program, that the narrator says, it stood the test of time. God's word, the Bible, is still relevant for our time today. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the Bible has stood the test of time. Today, there are over 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the Bible. As, as we all know, the Bible was not typed on a typewriter. The Bible originally was not written on a computer. Uh, the Bible was written by hand. And then copies of the Bible were made by hand. And they were uh, spread all by hand, copying by hand. And so there are 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament alone. There are over 10,000 Latin versions, uh, Latin manuscripts in 9300 in other different languages, ancient languages, all manuscripts. So that amounts to over 25,000 manuscripts of the Bible. But you know what's interesting? Scholars affirm that even with 
more than 25,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, the differences among them are less than half of 1%. So just about 99.5% of the New Testament manuscripts are absolutely identical in content. And what about the Old Testament? The oldest manuscripts that we have for the Old Testament date from 100 to 150 BC before Christ. Those are the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so based on all this evidence, the Bible can be, tr can be trusted. But let's uh, move into something that I really find fascinating. And if you have your Bible, you want to have it with you, even though I believe the text will show up here on the screen. But uh, what is the nature, what is the origin of the Bible? Why do we say that the Bible is God's word? That's one of the questions I had at the beginning. Why do we say that the Bible is God's word? How was the Bible given to us? And were the words, were the words in the Bible dictated by God? So we'll check, we'll check uh, the Bible to find answers to those questions. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, 15, verse 16, we read, All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. Some uh, more modern versions would say that the Bible, the scripture is breathed out, is God breathed. And so all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What does that mean to say that the Bible was inspired by God? So there is a word here in the Greek. The word used here in the Greek for inspired or inspiration is a word that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's the word theopneustus, which theo comes, means what? God, and pneustus is Breathe, breath. And so Paul is saying that the word of God was inspired by God because it was breathed by God. What's the significance of that? Well, let me ask you, do you remember an occasion in the Bible where God blowed air, where God breathed out and something came to life? We all know that. The creation of man. So, turn your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I don't have that text here, but the Bible says that God did what? Formed man, and then he did what? He breathed into his nostrils, and Adam became what? living soul or living being and so God's breath the breath of life as we say was what turned that model that structure that uh, model that God had made into a living soul turn your Bibles to Psalm 33 verse 6 Psalm 33 verse 6 there the psalmist is talking about God's power and his powerful powerful word and in chapter 33 psalm 33 6 he says that by the word of the lord what by the word of the lord the heavens were created were made and all the host of them by what the breath of his mouth so i want you to leave this place here today with this in mind, that the same power that was required to make man alive, the same power that was necessary to put everything in this universe in place, is the same power that God used to give us the Bible. I'm getting goosebumps here. Because we look at the Bible as just a book that has printed. And we do believe that it came from God, but God had to use the same power that he used to create men, to create the universe, to give that to the inspired authors of the Bible. Isn't that powerful? 
This is what Paul is saying there in his letter to Timothy when he says that the word of God was given by God's inspiration, was inspired by God. There is another text I'd like to bring your attention to that's very important when we, when we go to the Bible to find in the Bible itself answers to questions as to why we believe in the Bible. And that's Second Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. And I'm reading here from the uh, English Standard Version. 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. And Peter says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's read this text carefully now and understand it. Paul, uh, Peter is saying that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And while someone might say, oh, Pastor, this is talking only about prophecy, only about future predictions about the future. No. Remember that prophecy, the original term for prophecy in the Bible is uh, the prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. So the prophet was someone who was speaking on behalf of God. So everything in the Bible is prophecy. Everything in the Bible is God's message. If we believe so in the Bible, so we believe that all scripture comes from God. And so when Peter is talking about prophecy, he's, also, he's actually talking about the whole, the entirety of scripture. And he says that no prophecy in scripture came from anyone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So it doesn't have human origin. That's clear. But listen to this. Men spoke from God. So who spoke? God spoke to men. And, and then who spoke? Men spoke. That's what Peter is saying. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there is something very important here that I don't want you to miss because we need to be ready to give reason for our faith, for our beliefs. The words in the Bible are not God's words. God did not dictate the very exact words that the biblical authors were to write. But how do we say that, they are God, that the Bible is God's word then? So follow me so you understand this clearly. We say that the Bible is God's word because it originally came from God. But the Bible is clear here saying that men spoke from God. So the words in the Bible were written by the biblical authors. They used their own language. That's why you read several books in the Bible. You see there is a difference in style. There is a difference in, in, in the train of thought because those are man's language but everything that those men spoke came from came from God so they received the message from God they wrote down in their own language but they didn't do it by themselves because what else does Peter say here at the end they were carried along by the Holy Spirit is that clear to all of us so that tells us that even though they were writing down the revelation received from God in their own language, they were assisted throughout the process by the Holy Spirit of God. So this, the words were men's words, but they were not self-motivated. They came from God. And the Holy Spirit assisting the whole process so we can be sure that God was in charge of the whole process. We don't believe as, as Christians and as Seventh-day Adventists, we don't believe in what is called verbal inspiration. So we don't believe, like I said, that God turned to Daniel and said, Daniel, write these exact words. You will find in Revelation, God saying, saying to John, write the words because they're important. Write the words. But they were not dictated by God. They were revealed. And they wrote down. So we don't believe in verbal inspiration. 
That means that even if one manuscript has a, a minor, minor difference in, in relation to another manuscript, it's still God's word. Because it's not dependent on men's words. It's something that came from God and the Holy Spirit oversaw the whole process. Now, we go back to the Reformation here. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, you probably know this passage by heart, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. sword, Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if the Bible is that powerful, if the Bible can cut straight into your heart and reveal to you that which the Lord expects from you. If the Bible is able to give you wisdom. If the Bible is able to uh, discern the thoughts and the intents of your own heart. If the Bible is that powerful, if the Bible is that quick. Then the main church at the time, the dark ages, they came out with this idea. Maybe we should suppress the word. We should keep it, aside, keep it away from the people. We should not allow the people to have access to it. Because knowledge brings freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So let's keep the word, let's keep the truth away from them. And that's what happened. People didn't have access to the Bible. And Satan influenced not only the main church at the time, but different religions religious leaders and other religions to keep the Bible away. Do not let the people come any close to it. Because if they do, they will be set free. They will be no longer under our control. And there came the time that we call the Dark Ages. Now, if you go to a historian, if you go to school, you ask any university professor, at least most of them, they will say that the Dark Ages was the time in history where people did not go, did not attend universities, they did not attend schools, they didn't read books, not much, much art was created, works of art, all of that was a dark time for culture. People were not as enlightened as we are today. But what most historians will not say is that there was one basic component that was missing too. There was religious... Death, basically. There was no real uh, spiritual experience at the time. And so it was a time of spiritual darkness. And that's what most historians once say. But there was spiritual darkness because people did not have access to the, to the Bible. They did not have access to the, to the Word. The Bible must be suppressed. And so in 1517, right at the center of the Dark Ages... A time period when the Bible was squashed underfoot. A man rose up, a few men rose up. And Martin Luther in particular, he exploded on the scene with his 95 Theses. The Reformation was then thrust forward at supersonic speed. Men, women, children, they were all getting access, gaining access to the Bible again. They were reading their Bibles and they were rediscovering the truths that were there in God's word. Luther spent many ways, many, many years rather of his life. Working on a translation of the Bible into German. His, his mother tongue. People had no access to the Bible in their native tongue. If they, if they ever had access to the Bible, it was in Latin. And they couldn't understand it. And so someone would read the Bible in Latin from the front... And you have to trust, trust their interpretation. And so Luther is not happy with that. He spent many years and many, much of his health and his years working into this translation into the German. And Luther's German Bible was, was widespread. And it found widespread acceptance among people in his country. And it became such an influential work that even today, if you have a chance to talk to any German person or any German professor, you'll ask them, what was the, did the German, the, the Luther's German Bible have any influence? They will say yes. 
It had so much influence that it was, was influential, contributing to even the formation of modern-day German language. Modern-day Ger German language has inherited much of Luther's work in his translation of the Bible into German. Every Protestant family had a Bible at that time. And they were reading. They had a copy of Luther's Bible. They were reading. They were studying. And the press had just been uh, uh, established in Germany. Uh, some of you who may have perhaps uh, studied this a little deeper will find out that the press was actually invented by the Chinese uh, centuries uh, prior. But the press was made popular in Germany with Gutenberg. And so this facilitated the printing of Bibles. And Bibles were being spread out across the country. But the most impressive and the most important aspect of Luther's work to have the Bible widespread in his country was the fact that now he could see people listening to the Bible readings and people reading the Bible in their own language. And they were moved by it. And Luther would testify that he was standing here in the pulpit and preaching to the church. And you remember at that time, uh, there were no pews. People were standing, right? Standing and looking up to the preacher. And he would be preaching and, and reading the Bible in Germany. And he would see people crying, people weeping, moved by the words in the Bible. Because they finally now could understand it. And so it stands to reason why the reformers stood on on the sola scriptura foundation. The Bible and the Bible only. They believed that the Bible, the scripture, was the only authoritative manuscript that should guide the Christian life above everything else. And when the time came for every individual reformer to break away from the Catholic Church, when that time came, some of them were not even sure whether or not their newly founded churches were true churches. You know, we take that for granted because today we have freedom of religion. But you think about those people, all their lives, they grew up in the Catholic Church and they were taught that there was only one church who could not only teach truth, but one church that could even dispense God's grace. There was no other way for you to, to receive God's grace if not through that church. So they grew up like that. And now they come to the point where they think a breakaway is unavoidable. And they break away from the main church. And now they, they are forming new churches. Based on the truths they are finding in the Bible. And they are questioning themselves. Is this church a real, a true church or not? Am I right in doing this? And so the only thing that held them together the only thing that helped them get uh, go through all of that was the bible the bible was their safe haven the bible was was where they could find their foundation and be sure that they were still serving god faithfully that reminds me of an episode in the bible and i want you to uh, i i have the text there that's found in nehemiah chapter 8 you see, the people of Israel came out of bondage in, in, in Babylonia, in Babylon. And they came out and they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. The city was rebuilt. The temple, they, they were allowed to rebuild the temple. And so they are there. And, and over time, over that period of time, much of the language had been corrupted. And many of them could not understand the Hebrew Bible. Many of them could no longer understand it. And so they get together. Here in Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 12. And Ezra. Ezra, who Ezra has a book on his own. But Ezra was a scribe. Ezra was also a priest. And so Ezra was charged with the responsibility of reading the Bible to the people. And so I want you to, to focus. Because this is the reading of the word of God. And, and pay attention to how, how seriously the people of Israel was taking that opportunity. The Bible says that all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses 
that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a, on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed down, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. There are two things that this passage shows us and I'd like to draw your attention to as, as we close. In verse 8, the Bible says that all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Let me ask you this. When was the last time when you took the Bible and you spent time on it and you wept reading God's Word? You know, many times we think of the Bible as a tool that we need to read and memorize because we are told that we need to memorize Bible texts to have them ready. And it becomes simply a tool. I'm not saying that is wrong. I'm not saying... You should not memorize scripture. Indeed, you should. But the Bible should not only be a tool. The Bible should not only be a, a, a pool of text where you come to find answers to debate with someone else. Or to prove your beliefs. Well, the Bible should be a source of inspiration and life to you. So when was the last time when you took the Bible and you spent time reading it and you were moved by it to the point where you wept by the words of the Lord? Now the Bible says something else. The Bible says that they wept as they heard the words. And so when was it that you found yourself immersed into the text and you are reading verse by verse and meditating upon God's holiness? And you are moved to see the beauty of His grace. And you are moved to admire the perfection of His character. His infinite love for you. When was the last time? The Bible also says that the people were told not to grieve. The Bible says that they went out rejoicing. So when was the last time that the word of God brought joy to you? When did, you, did, did the Bible last make you feel at peace and feel you, make you feel calm in spite of all the challenges and difficulties of life? That's why God gave us this book for. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. But they also went home to make joy 
to find peace with the Lord. I had an uncle, uncle who lived in the northeast part of the country in Brazil. And he, he was very poor. He had four children, four boys. He's passed away now a few years ago. And uh, he never went beyond grade two education. But he could read and he could speak and he could preach. And many times in his little town where he lived, he was called to speak in public events even because he was so eloquent as a speaker, as a preacher. And all of that he learned by reading the Bible. Well, more than anything I've said here this morning, I think there are two things that you need to do. One is to try the Bible for yourself and to read it and to be moved by it and to be constrained to change your ways from what you read in the Bible. That's a challenge that you have as a person. That's a challenge you have as a Christian. That's something your pastor cannot do for you. That's something your elder cannot do for you. You have to set aside time every day to read the Bible. The Bible says that not only by bread shall men live, but by every word. You can't go one day without bread, can you? Maybe you can. Maybe you can go two days. You might even be able to go 40 days without eating anything. But you can't do that for the rest of your life. And so you need to, you need to eat the words. You need to be fed on God's word. And that's a challenge that's up to you as a Christian. Now, if there is someone here that by any chance is not so sure about the power that is found in the Bible, I encourage you to talk to other Christians because there is nothing more powerful than a testimony of someone whose life has been changed and transformed by reading the Bible. And there are many of them here. Many have beautiful stories. So get inspired by those words, by those stories, testimonies, and, and read the Bible. I'd like to, to invite my, my friend, Roberto, who is here this morning. And he's going to play a song on the guitar. And while he plays, this is not the end yet. And while he plays, I'd like to make an appeal. If you feel that the Lord is calling you to, to spend more time with Him, if you feel there is any point, there is any validity in this, that the Lord is calling you, like He says through Isaiah, come and let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. If you think there is any virtue in that, and you want to renew your commitment to being a Bible-based Christian, to being a Bible-based Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I'd like to invite you to come to the front as he plays. And I'll pray with you at the end.
Thou hast taught me to say It is well, it is well With my soul It is well With my soul It is well It is well With my soul And Lord the day when my fate shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul it is well if the Lord is calling you come to the front with my soul it is well it is well with my Heavenly Father, we find out, Lord, that there is nowhere we could ever go to find peace. Like Peter said to Jesus, where, where would we go if not to you? And so, Father, this morning, the call has been made and people have responded, expressing, Lord, their desire to renew their commitment with you, expressing their desire to renew their commitment to spending time on your word, knowing, Lord, that it is the Bible only, the foundation for our faith, and that we need to be fed on it every day. Father, sometimes it may seem awkward to come to the front, being a Christian for so many years perhaps, and, and saying that we want to recommit to study the Bible. But this is what we are doing here this morning. And so, Lord, I ask that you may honor our, our desire and instill in us this desire to study your word. Even those days when we wake up and we find no desire whatsoever to come to you. May we be moved. May we be impressed. May we be bothered even, Lord, to go to the Word, knowing that we'll find there the encouragement and the strength that we need. May we be moved by your words. May we weep when needed. And may we find the joy that will keep us going. Bless this church and every person who made this decision today in particular. This is our prayer today in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. May God bless you.